I would like us please to open at Hebrews chapter 3. And this is the fourth part uh, of a series we've gone through in Advent in Hebrews. And we've been going through Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And this morning I've entitled this sermon, A Saviour for All Seasons. And I would like us just to pull uh, a couple of things out of Hebrews chapter 3. That is, today on Boxing Day we reflect purely and solely on the greatness of Jesus. So let's read, shall we, the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can read along. And it reads this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder eh, of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting and our hope. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we thank you that this morning we can gather around your word, whether we are gathered here or at home this morning. We ask, Lord, would you just strip away the busyness eh, as you have been doing already this morning? Would we know the joy of fellowship and coming together? And would you speak to our hearts through your word, we pray. Amen. A sign of a really good advertising campaign is that you remember it. And in 1987, the Dogs Trust released this. A dog is for life and not just for Christmas. And of course, this came to life because lots of people were being given dogs for Christmas and then by Easter, they were just royally fed up of them and they wanted nothing to do with them anymore. Dogs take work, dogs cost money. You've got to go and walk, especially in Scotland, in lots and lots and lots of rain. And owning a dog isn't for everyone. I'm sure it's a campaign that over the years we've all heard and we all remember. And it reminded me, I guess, of this morning, that as we come to already post-Christmas, but still in the midst of all the festivities, that of course that baby born in a manger is not just for Christmas, but for life. That there is something so significant about this baby born in a manger that he is important 52 weeks of the year, 365 days. It is good to have fun and family in this season but it can be really easy for us to dump Jesus and I noticed that even as we come this morning that it takes me a moment to recalibrate to come in here and go actually now now I'm in God's house now I'm with God's people so now it's time for me to fully focus upon him something that we will all admit can be very difficult to do on Christmas day but this passage reminds us of something very, very simple, and that is simply that Jesus is the greatest. And actually, if we could sum up the book of Hebrews in anything, it is that. It is that it shouts, Jesus is 
the greatest. And I wonder if you know who this man is. Without competition, the greatest footballer to have ever lived, Cristiano Ronaldo. And he's often referred to as the GOAT. The GOAT standing for greatest of all time. We have the greatest of all time footballers. And here we have the GOAT, the greatest of old time of the Old Testament in Moses. Up there with King David. But then we come to the greatest of the great of all times in Jesus. So I simply want to remind us of the Savior and the Christ that is greater than all things. Firstly, the author asks us in verse 1 to remember the holy calling that we, uh, the heavenly calling that we have been called to. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Notice what he's beginning to do here at the beginning of this passage. He, he wants us to realize and to remember who we are in Jesus. If you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation, if you believe in him as the Lord and Savior of your life, he wants you to notice and to remember who Jesus has made you and is making you to be. And he does this in three things. Firstly, he calls you holy. I don't know how you react when you read words like that, but when I read a passage like that, I look at it and I go, who, me? How on earth can you say that I am holy? How on earth can you call me a, a holy brother who partakes, who shares in this heavenly calling? You must be talking about somebody else here. You can't possibly be talking about me. But he declares that you're holy. Secondly, he declares that you are a brother. And that doesn't simply mean that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, which we are. But it also means that Christ is our big brother. It means that we are related to him, brought in to the family of God. By grace of Jesus alone, we have been brought into his family. And that's why we have the joy of doing this today. And thirdly, he says that we, we share in this heavenly calling. What an encouragement to us that we share in something with Jesus. He's starting here by saying that in, the, in our life as Christians, and as difficult as it can be, that we need to stop and realize who Jesus has made us to be. And of course, the New Testament describes us in so many different ways. It describes us in places as sinners, reminding us of how broken we are and how in need of Jesus we are. But it also reminds us that we are saints, that we are part of the family of God and the household of God. Know who you are in Jesus. Know what you have been saved from, but what you have also been saved to. We're told to intimately know the Savior that rescued us as we do at Christmas, but also to know the transforming work of the gospel that is at work in all of our lives. 
And this is how this passage is started. Remember who you are. You have been made holy in Christ. You have been made brothers and sisters of Christ. You are fellow heirs of his throne. And you have been given a heavenly calling. One of the things uh, all our teenagers wrestle with uh, and maybe some of our adults as well, as we do at various points, is what on earth am I going to do with my life? What is it that I'm called to? What should I study? What should I learn? What trade should I pick up? What am I suited to do? What am I gifted to do? What do I enjoy doing? What am I inclined to do? What would I be happy and effective doing for the rest of my life? I don't think it's just our teenagers that wrestle with that. I think we all wrestle with that at times. And it's a good question, and it's a question that often takes us a long time to find the answer to. But the job of us as Christians is nowhere near that complex. Because every Christian has a job, and our job is a heavenly job. And we are called to be a sharer. We are called to share or partake, as other translations will put it, in heavenly glory. That is what we've been made for. Everything else in our life, whatever profession or vocation or anything at all that we are called to do, as a Christian, we have been called and we have been destined to share in the heavenly calling of God. And that defines us. So I think at the beginning of this, the author is asking us just to pause. And it's easy as we reflect on that to say, but Jonathan, I don't feel very holy. I don't feel like a brother or a sister of Jesus. In fact, sometimes I feel so distant and so... And I don't really feel like I have a place in the kingdom of God and I don't have a heavenly calling. And we all feel like that at times, if we're honest. And what is most important is that all of this is done by faith. All of this must be lived through a life of faith. Because sometimes we don't feel like these things are true of ourselves. Sometimes we are barely trusting in Jesus with the last little bit that we've got left because it can be hard to follow him. But the Christian life begins with faith and it continues with faith and it ends with faith. We don't move past faith in Jesus because Jesus has to be central to all of the Christian life. It is not about us living the Christian life and hoping that we please him and that we're good enough for him, but it is about living that Christian life with him. Have you ever tried to follow Jesus without really loving and seeking Jesus? It's hard. It's always in vain. It never gets any easier, ever. But this is the only way that we can live. And we're given, in the five verses that follow, two reminders uh, of just who God is that are wonderful. And we're obviously given this comparison 
of Moses. And the first one is this, that he is the most glorious. He is the most glorious of them all. It reads from verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. We remember that the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews, so to mention the name of Moses automatically elevates the reader's thoughts to think of the greatest of the great. Interestingly, 767 times Moses is is mentioned in the Old Testament. Only King David is mentioned more. But he is up there with the most prominent, the most special people in Scripture. He was pivotal in establishing the nation of Israel, of authoring the first five books. And there is virtually no one more important in the Old Testament. So who on earth would rival the great Moses? Well, Moses is just a house and Jesus is the builder of that house. We're given that house, the picture of the house a lot, aren't we? A picture of God's people, the church. Both those in the old covenant and those in the new covenant. And as mediator, as the one who came forward, as the establishment of Israel, the old covenant. Moses represents the house. Because if you think of ancient Israel, Moses is the first that anybody here would think of. He is described as the house. And he has the great honor of being God's faithful servant in the house. But at the end of the day, even one of the most honored and esteemed people that we read of in Scripture is still but a servant. But Jesus is the son. And Jesus is the builder of that house. In Zechariah, we're told that the Messiah will come and he shall build the temple of the Lord. He will be the Messiah. And Hebrews 3, 4 here, it affirms that Jesus is God himself. It, 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 it emphasizes for us the truth that God himself is the great architect and the creator of all things, both in the physical world, in the new creation, and in his church. Because he is the Lord of the universe. And all of that, of course, at Christmas is framed through the one that came as a baby. And we begin to realize here that that as the builder of the house, Jesus is making us part of his family forever. He did that through his functions as prophet, priest, and king. Unlike the church, we see many beautiful houses around us. We see magnificent houses. You drive through some streets in Bothwell and your mind boggles at how much money some people have and how big some of these houses are. But in so many of the most wonderful homes are broken families 
and broken people. Because that's us. We are just broken people. But Jesus comes to restore us and make us whole. Because he is the builder and he is the restorer and he is the one who draws alongside us and at his death took our sin and our shame. Moses spoke of the one who is more glorious to come. We referenced it, I think I might have mentioned it every week in Deuteronomy 18, 15. That there will be a prophet that will be raised up, one that you will listen to. He is the most glorious and finally he is the most faithful. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify for the things that were to be spoken later but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Moses is faithful in God's house. Christ is faithful over all we notice the contrast of Moses indeed the one who is faithful in God's house Christ who is faithful over God's house who is greater in the household the servant of the son of course it is the son and we who are in that house it is asked of us that we hold fast our confession and that our boasting is only in our hope it's one of these conditional passages that we are his house if we hold fast to the confession that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that our boasting is in the eternal and not in the things that are in front of us and it's not designed as a passage to make us think oh no I don't do that it's not designed to discourage us, but it's designed to encourage us. It's designed to motivate us and not demotivate us. Because really what the author is saying here is don't give up. What he's saying is don't quit, don't stop, keep on going in the Christian life. He's urging us really to pursue perseverance to the very, very end. He's not encouraging us to put all the hard things to one side and to ignore them because we know that's not possible. But what he's saying is, with Jesus, keep going. Because he must be your confidence and your hope. I wonder how often we do that. I wonder how often in the midst of things that overwhelm us, we deliberately set our eyes and our confidence on Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said, reality looked at steadily is unbearable. Reality looked at long enough is unbearable. Because if you focus on the things of this world for so long, and if you watch the news for so long, and you look at the things going on around this world, it will depress even the most optimistic of people. Even the most cheerful will become depressed as they look at this long enough. Even though the mercy and the grace of God follow us all the days of our life, I don't think as many of us would want to live for eternity. Not here anyway. 
Because there are troubles in this world that would break the hearts of even the strongest people. And if you look at those things for long enough, if you focus on the things that are in front of us for long enough, you will give up. So the reminder here is look at where your confidence is and look at where your hope is. This morning, where is your hope found? Are you met with that wonderful hope that the baby born in a manger is the one who is going to save mankind? Or are we so caught up in ourselves and the things that surround us that we just don't have that hope? You know, interestingly, Jonathan Edwards, a guy from the 18th century, an American preacher and revivalist, every morning would spend 20 minutes meditating on heaven. And he didn't do it to escape for 20 minutes. He didn't do it so that he could just kind of check out. But he did it so that he could remember every single day where his hope was set. Maybe some of us need that today. A reminder that our hope is in the builder of the house. That our hope is in the creator and the sustainer of all things. That our hope is in the one who loves us so much that he came into this world as a baby. Lived a life more difficult than any of us could ever imagine. And conquered every single bit of it because he loves you. Friends, this season, as we live as Christians in the world, I'm sure uh, lots of the folks we will come into contact with in, in the maybe yesterday, in the days and the weeks ahead, will be friends and family who don't yet know Jesus. And maybe that brings interesting conversation for you at Christmas. Maybe it brings no conversation whatsoever because you've been there and you've done that, and those conversations are difficult. Well, the simple reminder this morning is remember who you are in Jesus. Focus on him. Remember what he has done and what he is continuing to do. Because he is in the business of building. And do not forget your hope. That is our saviour. That is the one that we come here to worship each Sunday because he is our everlasting hope if you don't know Jesus this morning I invite you to explore this saviour because this is worth celebrating this is the saviour that is worth giving your life for and this is our Jesus friends let's bow our heads and let's pray before we break bread together our Lord and our saviour we thank you that you are the most magnificent of them all we thank you that in ways we cannot comprehend, you forfeited your rights of heaven, yet not giving up your divinity as God, came into this world as a baby and lived a life as a man. That you taught with utter clarity, yet still people hated you. To the point to which you were crucified on a cross. But that death could not hold you. That death could not hold you and you rose victorious. Lord, would that be what we put our hope in? That the God of resurrection power is the same God that goes with us today. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the wonders of technology. We thank you for those that aren't able to be with us this morning can join in this way. And we glorify your name, Lord. We thank you that you are present with us always and that you care deeply for us. In your name we pray. Amen.